Hello and welcome to Movie Ghoul Round. This is the third of this annual tradition. Tonight, night four of Movie Ghoul Round is Around the World. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me for the next movie, Ghoul Round, this October. Uh, Again, these are all spooky and scary and fun movies for Halloween coming up in just a couple of days. Nicole Davis, how are you? Oh, I'm just... It's so sunny and bright and uh, optimistic about life and... um, Gosh, it's just such a feel-good one this week. No kidding. (laughs) I forgot just how morbidly depressing this movie was. Um, How could you forget that? I don't. I thought there was a sunny side. There's not. Um, I'm still happy I brought it all same. I think we'll have a good discussion. David Luzader, how are you? I'm doing well. I would like to now read my open letter to Amazon Prime, who's ever in charge of the captions for their movies. Oh. Come on, guys, get those synced up. What are we doing? I shouldn't be reading the dialogue three seconds before it's said in the movie, especially on foreign films. Anyway, uh, let's talk about this movie. It was a uh, super <laughs> great happy times. <laughs> exactly. Well, we have a guest this week. We are so excited to welcome Phil Rude to the podcast. Of course, you know him. You love him. He's been on the show before. Artist extraordinaire. He also does a new podcast, relatively new, uh, The Picture Show with his son, Austin. So you can find that on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. It's also a movie podcast. So if you're listening to this, I'd highly recommend listening to that. Uh, Phil, how are you doing? Great to be with you. I was doing good until I watched the most depressing movie in the world today. Uh, so thanks for that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I was thinking the last time I was on this show, it was also a Spanish language movie. Uh, so uh, we watched Pan's Labyrinth last time oh, I was here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm. You guys have done That's more. That's another for me. happy fun time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, this this podcast has done more for my uh, Spanish language skills than having Duolingo on my phone for four years and going mostly unused. Yeah, you know, we're just here to bring you tales of children coping with immense trauma. <laughs> so horrible, traumatic <laughs> event. That's right. Uh, which we'll talk about because that's very much a through line uh, from this movie to Pan's Labyrinth, which obviously sure. inspired it. Um Let's go ahead and announce tomorrow night's movie. This is a You Did This To Us uh, pick. I'm going to announce it here in a moment. I currently don't know. Future me knows what the You Did This To Us is. But I do want to remind folks that if you go onto our Facebook and Twitter, just search Movie Go Round Podcast, you'll have the opportunity to vote when those do pop up. For this particular voting, we did have one stipulation, and that was that it had to be a horror or a thriller or just something that could fall into that scope of movie ghoul round. So God knows what you guys are subjecting us to, but future me will tell you right now. All right. It lost many a vote, but it has finally conquered the odds and reached the top of the voting pool. We will be watching deathbed, the bed that eats. <laughs> no! I, I, for one, am excited to watch scary movie four. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> is Scary Movie 4 the one with Charlie Sheen or is that 3? Who cares? Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, does it matter? Can you tell the difference? Not particularly. Uh, well, this week it was my pick for Around the World, and I picked a film called Tigers Are Not Afraid. Uh, it came out in 2017. It's currently an exclusive on Shudder, but I learned through all of you that you can rent it on Amazon as well. So it's it's readily available wherever you want to get it. Uh, it's a Spanish-speaking film. takes place in Mexico. A dark fairy tale about Australia who must fend for herself after her mother disappears and joins a gang of five children trying to survive the violence of the cartels and the ghosts created every day by the drug war is what this film is about. And yeah, it's a downer. I'm not going to sugarcoat that, but I will briefly explain why I chose it. Um, I think this is a relatively new director, and I think she did a phenomenal job with capturing elements that are clearly 
inspiring to her in films like Pan's Labyrinth, in Guillermo del Toro films and and that sort of stuff. Um, it has that fantastical, like fairy tale, like incredibly dark fairy tale side to it where everything that's supposed to be whimsical is actually horrifying. And that's <laughs> something that Guillermo del Toro does very well. Uh, but on top of that, something that is unique to this film is... It uses some horror elements, and there's not a ton of them. Uh, it, I, I actually, revisiting it, it might be even a stretch to call it a straight horror film, though it does have some spookiness. I, I think all the dead people that talk to her kind of make it a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty spooky. Uh, granted, <laughs> granted. But I really do think that where this film shines, and the reason I brought it to the panel, is because it uses something like horror and elements of horror uh, to bring us into this world of being a child who is lost and mostly alone in a really scary place in you know a a very ravaged area of mexico by the cartels and it does it in a way that feels honest and tactful and not like rambo last blood which is the last (laughs) time we saw the mexican cartels on this podcast A quick editorial note from me here in the editing room we skipped some episodes in order to make it in time for October for movie ghoul round. So Rambo is actually in your future. So look out for that one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny how many times I thought about Rambo last blood <laughs> while watching this movie, because it's like, here's an honest portrayal of parts of Mexico that do very much have this issue, but it does it with such nuance and uh, actually living within it and showing us this reality versus Rambo last blood where it's like, any, any part south of the border is no laws. I am the law. <laughs> I rip this guy's collarbone out. I can't talk about that, Nicole. I just that needs <laughs> that needs to live in the past and only in the past. Okay, uh, why I do your guys' like, audience hate you so much? Why do they subject you to that? That actually that was a Netflix roulette. That wasn't the audience doing oh, that really one. Right? Yes. Yeah. We, we had three choices, and that's what we subjected. <laughs> <laughs> okay well yeah you guys but. hate yourselves is what it is I think. Uh, right. sometimes man yeah. <laughs> i mean sometimes the <laughs> wheel spits do... out so bad you just got to go with what it gives you <laughs> yeah i i would like to make something clear off the bat though i mean we've all been you know joking about how depressing this movie is and i mean yeah it it, it is indeed you know very sad um but i it is a beautifully made movie mm-hmm. and i I I won't say that I enjoyed it, but I appreciated it very much. It's and it's a, all that it has to offer. It's a movie that I would say is rough around the edges, but shows you know, this is a, a, a competent hand and you know it's a, a filmmaker that I'd be very interested to see more of what they have to make in the future. Yeah, it's it's one of those films where to your point, Nicole I think it's almost a little weird if you enjoy it, uh, at least in an entertaining fashion. Uh, Stephen um, King liked it. Uh, yes, he did. No, but, I, but <laughs> well, what, what, yeah, what I mean by that. We all know about Uncle Stevie, though. True. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, what I, what I do like about it, though, is that there's a place for films that that make you uncomfortable and and bring discussion topics like what we have in our docket today to light, um, even if they're not fun to watch. And we've had a couple of those on the podcast, and. I know I've brought more than my share of them. This seems to be what I gravitate toward, but I, I just, to Nicole's point, it's a beautiful film. It's, I mean, Issa Lopez is the director and uh, this was her first major film, but since then she's been signed on for a Blumhouse flick. Um, Guillermo del Toro is producing a movie for her. So he obviously liked what he saw. So hopefully some really cool stuff to come out of, um, what she's been doing so very exciting but let's let's dive into our discussion topics uh why change the title for the u.s release nicole because this was originally titled what welvin or welvin yeah which means uh come back and i'm not a hundred percent sure my my spanish grammar is a little rusty if it means if it's an imperative like a command to come back or if it's they come back with they being understood but it's definitely plural so it's it's multiple um indicating multiple people coming back so So. i'm assuming it's so one of the plot lines in this film is is that these ghosts of people who who have been murdered by the cartel 
are um, talking to Australia and and trying to get her to to find some sort of justice for them, really. And uh, yeah. so they they have returned, right? They have come back. I, I mean, I is it is it too generic for a U.S. audience? Do you need something that catches your eye? Like this, I watched this movie originally because of the title because I thought it was cool. I well, yeah. I'm, I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, the title is cool. Sorry, go ahead, David. I had a. I was just going to say that I like the title. I, I think that the title. It's not one of those ones where. Why did they make that pick? That's a really weird kind of like stupid choice to have changed it. I think that uh, yeah, it. I, I think it really works as a title for me, at least. I found the title very misleading. There were no Detroit baseball players in this at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I can I I can never figure out why they change titles for U.S. releases. Um, it, it just I don't know if it's focus group um, from distributors who who bring the these movies to the states. And they are just sort of like, oh, no, something more exciting, something sexier, tigers, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know. <laughs> There's always it always seems like a corporate mentality is doing that. Like, well, our focus group said that, uh, you know, uh, big cats are in this year. So let's let's put in and this has tiger graffiti in it. So let's put that in there. Uh, yeah, it's it's always really strange to me, but well, I can never yeah. figure out why. At least it's relevant to the film. Yeah. Sure. No, I mean, I like the English title of this. I'm not. I'm not saying that I. I dislike it. It's just I always kind of question. Um, you know, the director. She's Issa Lopez is the writer and director, and she chose the title she did for you know a particular reason. Um, but I mean, they do say tigers are not afraid more than once in the movie. <laughs> right. So, and it's certainly a better choice than. I'm not gonna. I I would definitely disagree that they would pick it because it was not generic because i mean we get movies like one fine day where you have literally no idea what the plot is uh, of the movie (laughs) just by the title you know are you are you telling me a movie with the title like drive or crash is not (laughs) (laughs) no that's fair that is fair so but anyway anyway but i i i I did actually kind of like it so I, I also I liked do all wonder, the different variations of tigers in the movie. Oh yeah, and, and I actually do wonder if if it is as clean as 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 like corporate as a focus group or as um, our SEO on your existing title doesn't bring up the film as high as we need to be in search results. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that could be. Because yeah, that that's be like a reality. Too. Like I always think of uh, a, a movie analogy. I mean, a music analogy here. I always think of like Nick Lowe's second record, which is in the UK called the Jesus of cool, which is a badass name. And that is what everyone calls him now. But when it came to the States, they had to call it pure pop for now people because Americans really did not like the word Jesus in the title of the, the record. Um, Point point being Hence why is the that Jesus and Mary chain did so poorly. <laughs> so years, years before. So my, my point being is that American audiences are finicky and, um, and maybe there was something with this. I don't know. Uh, so if you do find yourself um, killing or pretending to kill a gang member, maybe you shouldn't brag about it. Uh, ah. This is a, a discussion topic from David. Yeah. So what happens is Australia is, I feel like we need to back up a little bit to give the audience some background. If you haven't seen the film, Australia who lives in, in Mexico and her mother becomes a victim of this drug war and is abducted from her home. She is, um, on her own and she sees this young boy looting her house so she follows him and finds this young band of boys that all have had parents lost in some way to what's happening around them and she tries to stick with them and the only way that she can stick in with them is if she kills the drug lord that's been giving them problems and the little head honcho shine who is what he goes by um gives her a gun and tells her to go kill um this drug lord and uh she goes there and she's already dead, but she but she claims to have killed him. No, she doesn't though. <laughs> not doesn't not right she? away anyway. She just she doesn't, she just doesn't she, contradict them when right, they she doesn't, that right, she did. Yeah. It's Fair a lie of omission, uh yes. more than an outright uh yeah, she's I definitely not ass, bragging. You know, like yeah. Um it yeah, it's more I feel like Shine kind of brags on her more when he talks to the other that other group of kids boys. that's burning yeah. the piano. 
yeah. for some yeah. reason. Because sure. yeah. <laughs> um, it looks cool on film. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, um, but yeah, it, it's more, I, I feel like it's more like, oh yeah, uh, our girls are tougher than, than you guys. She just killed, um, I don't remember the, the drug dealer's name. Uh, yeah, Kako? Yeah. She's just kind of standing there, uh, I, I feel like. Yeah, it and I understand these are these are kids and they're making choices that kids would make, especially ones that have to live on the street and seem tough. But there's also several times in this room like these are no, you're making terrible decisions. No, <laughs> stop it, stop it. You could save yourself so much grief by just not doing that. <laughs> and and I want to back up a little bit as well because there one of the key elements of this film is that we see Australia in class in school at the very beginning of the film and the school is shot up and they have to close the school and her teacher who is an english teacher teaching fairy tales teaching about fairy tales at the moment it's shot up gives her three pieces of chalk and those pieces of chalk she says are for three wishes and and it's clear to us as like adults in the audience that this is a teacher trying to keep a a scared kid calm. Um, but she tries to use this chalk as a way to uh, wish these wishes, I suppose. Um, she believes after the first time, I believe the is the first wish uh, Kako's death that she doesn't have to kill no, him. No, the I first think. wish is I no. wish my mother would come back. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. That didn't pan out. And then the second <laughs> wish. <laughs> well, it worked. It's just yeah, you know. it did in the in that weird uh, monkey's double... paw kind of way. Yeah, yeah, monkey's paw. That's the one I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> finger, the finger curled closed. <laughs> yeah. So, and then the second wish is she wishes she doesn't have to kill cacao. Um, not cacao, caco, which is cacao. um, <laughs> which he's already dead. He's been killed by a different uh by a different cartel member who we meet later. Uh, so these wishes aren't real right like i i'd like what do you guys think she actually has some sort of power with these wishes or do you think it's just the chalk no the well she the summoned mo- the ghost of her mom i mean that is it but is the ghost going to come anyway it's because the other two chalk pieces do nothing uh, uh, do uh i beg to differ yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i mean the second I, chalk chalk piece he's already she, dead third chalk she piece but she didn't that was the, her wish was that she didn't have to kill him Fair enough. And yeah. the third one was that uh, Shine loses his scar, which he does. Yeah, it's because he gets what would be because a it was blasted or... straight oh, off yeah. his face. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. But, yeah. The movie, the movie plays a little bit like Fast and Loose. Was like, are her wishes real? But there's also too mm-hmm. much that happens to outright deny that there's something magical and different going on. Like the biggest example being uh, when um, when Morito. Uh, dies rest in peace morito that broke my heart yeah that was Uh, worst and uh and she goes to where they are burying his body essentially dumping his body basically yeah Yeah. there's no way for her to have known that without some sort of magical intervention um without like his ghost visiting her so there is like whatever they are playing with of like oh are the wishes real i don't know but is there something else happening here? Yes. I think, I think unequivocally. That's kind of where I was at, where I thought the, the wishes, I'm not sure if they necessarily do anything. Like I'm wondering if these are things that have happened or will happen anyway. Um, minus the whole ghosty thing. I don't know about that, but the other two, uh, shine getting shot and, and, um, what was the second one? Oh, and 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 the drug dealer uh, being uh, being yeah. dead already. Like, I wonder if those are just going to happen regardless. Um, but yeah, you're totally right. Like, she wouldn't know where to find his body if his little ghost is so tiny and cute and sad. Um, <laughs> didn't didn't tell her where to go. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and she gets led to the the very room. Uh, where all the bodies have been dumped that the the gang has been killing and she by following by following Moro's little stuffed tiger which is the most adorable yet the most adorable thing used in the darkest way i think i've ever seen yeah yeah, Phil, I have, uh, Phil put in our docket. Does anyone else think the ghost of the plush tiger was the weirdest thing? And my uh, <laughs> victims. <laughs> I, think, 
I had Paddington's Revenge in my uh, in my notebook. <laughs> it just was like this is really trippy. They, um, yeah, but yeah, I, it was yeah, it was it was very representative of of Morito and his his little plush tiger that he was very worried about and and protective of, and uh, it was adorable in a very dark way. Uh, yeah. Everything, everything around that kid, the graffiti that Shine put on the wall uh, of them saying goodbye to him after he was killed. It was just yeah. uh, that everything around that kid was just so, so sad. Eat your vegetables, you know, <laughs> when he's picking the peas out of the ramen. Everything no, that's a Tuxi. Oh, is the it the other? Okay. The yeah. um, but Moro's the one who gives Estrella the food. At first, he gives right. her an animal cracker he when he's blanket. been told not yeah. to share oh, anything with her. Oh, a little animal cracker. Like you said, you were hungry. You haven't eaten in a couple of days. So uh, here's an animal cracker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That ought to hold you over. Yeah. And, and this back. is the kid that's experienced trauma to the point where he doesn't talk. You know, he. he yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so it does see. And he's the youngest by at least a couple of years. Um, so, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the emotional pull of the movie for me at times even more than Estrella because there's times where I feel she's a little flat. I'm not getting enough of... There's times where I feel like I should she should be more upset and she, maybe that's... Maybe that's a very elegant portrayal of trauma where she's just trying to work through this to survive. Um, but you you get a lot from that kid, even though he doesn't speak. And the fact that his teddy bear comes back or, or tiger bear, tiger, um, comes back to finish the job that sounds really violent uh, <laughs> comes back to lead her to the very end of this of this puzzle to finding all the bodies um is do you want to find your mother's corpse? <laughs> <laughs> but see is it that voice or is it ben wishaw we have to make up our minds I don't know. And Paddington, too. How's that still not gotten on this podcast? I do want to say a fitting end with that weird, uh, creepy tiger plush coming back is that three of those were made. The first one is owned by the director. The second was kept just as a backup in case. And the third was cut into pieces to be scanned to made to be made into the CGI uh, puppet. Oh, wow. He was. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Please don't mit- dismember me. Okay. Yeah, oh, no, I, 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 I do like it as a device, albeit it is very weird. I, I agree, Phil. But uh, I actually kind of loved it, though. I loved all those those touches of is it real? Is it magic? Is it the supernatural reaching in? Is it just a hallucination that Estrella is having? Are these things, you know, maybe she's gotten some other context clues about where she should go and what she should do. And she's just incorporating them into hallucinations, telling her exactly where to go and what to do. Um, but I like that that's that that's up in the air. And I liked I was very lucky I got to see this in a theater um, mm-hmm. and it was just uh, I mean, I de- delightful sounds like a weird word to use, but just like it was a, it was it was a, a experience. Yeah, it was it was a, um, it was a pleasant surprise to have something like that happen in the movie, and it still work with even with the dark tone of the movie, it still all works. Sure. Everyone came out of that one laughing, having a great time, <laughs> slapping each other on the back. Hey! Yep. So, uh, moving on to some of our other uh, hefty discussion to- topics, um, we've touched on this a little bit, but what I really do love about this film is that it is a much more elegant, real portrayal of gang violence in Mexico versus something like Rambo. And and really, what I mean by that is like it doesn't. First of all, well, it's not racist, so it's got that going for it versus Rambo. <laughs> yeah. um, but but it's hey, that going way, for it, which way is to nice. clear that bar. <laughs> but it's but it's nuanced in the sense like it doesn't make you feel like this is the entire world of Mexico. It, it, they are in a bad right. neighborhood, and right. and it's not like there there's this endless stream of of horrific cartels. There's there's one in particular that's really giving them problems. I believe they're called the um the. The Waskas. The Waskas. Um, It just, it feels like the way this film handles it, and particularly 
when you when you see i'm gonna keep bringing up rambo because it's a point of reference i guess um <laughs> the problem with rambo is like he breaks in and spoilers for rambo if you haven't watched it when he like yeah, breaks rambo into like blood by the way right, I'm, I'm, right. gonna, I'm gonna take my earbuds out uh, yeah right you don't want us to ruin it for you right <laughs> well, brilliant. But when this dude's like breaking in the brothels i'm like and like taking you know women front that are being you know uh traded uh you know if you know human trade and he's like taking them and he's and he's trying to set them free and like they're just like in the corners crying there's really not a lot of humanity to it they're just caricatures of upset people who are cap captives whereas like this is like the parents get abducted and get killed and then what's left and what's left is these kids and that and that's a really horrible reality of like these kids do move on in a certain way and they find a way to survive on these streets and their friends do die and they experience a remarkable unbearable amount of loss and i think by telling it through the eyes of children horror notwithstanding um it offers a much more intimate look into the effects of this kind of violence versus just caricatures of people hiding in a corner and saying they're you know they're victims of, of violence, like something like Rambo does. Yeah, I would I would liken this to I mean it's an old reference, but something like Boys in the Hood, uh, mm-hmm. which you know was showing this neighborhood of South Central Los Angeles and saying yes, there's gang violence here, and yes, there are gang members in this community, and yes, this affects every member of this community, but not every member of this community is a gangster or a terrible person or a drug dealer. Like these are regular people trying to get by in the midst of uh, a violent backdrop. And this is how it affects everybody here. It does it without casting a big racist shadow on the whole thing Um, or or something classist or anything like that. So, yeah, it is. It's very nuanced. And uh, more than that, it just doesn't. I hate when when a movie is trying to talk about an issue at the uh, uh, an issue of violence, and at the same time they are glorifying the violence. American sniper, I am looking straight at you across this table. Um, like they're they're portraying violence in a way that makes it look cool and badass, while trying to talk about isn't violence terrible, guys? Yeah. Like, and this movie never never slips into that. So. Uh, I had to take my hat off to it for that, for yeah. just for that alone. Yeah, I'm I'm really with you on that. That there's a, uh, another the, a, an anime series that I really enjoyed called Kill a Kill, which simultaneously is this comedy that's trying to satirizing uh, the sexuality of female characters in anime, while also hypersexualizing the female characters <laughs> right. in anime. To the point where it's like you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right, you can't uh, both ways. Yeah, as the as the phrase goes, and this, I, I'm just I'm I'm basically reiterating your point here, Phil. I, I really agree with you. Where it's like it does not ever make the violence seem cool. These kids don't start their own gang and live. You know, like uh, isn't it so cool to be like a child gangster and then have a you know hilariously bad moral like Scarface at the end? Right. Uh, it it does have that approach of just like. This is this the the more fantastical elements aside, this feels so much more real. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, twice in the movie, you know, kids have the opportunity to shoot one of these members of the drug cartel in the back. Um, and twice they they can't bring themselves to do it. Because they they feel the enormity of it. And the only time that a kid actually does shoot one of the cartel members is to defend his friends. Yeah. Yeah. Shine tigers. Yeah. Shine fires blindly a couple of times, but I feel like that's more like, hey, I have a gun. Don't come near me. Scatter. (laughs) Yeah, Shine is Shine is is a I, I don't want to say he's a he's a stereotype because i don't think he is i think he's more nuanced than that but but he but he does have that element you've seen before in in stories of the young boy who has been cast into the world too early and has seen too much and his way of coping with it is making sure everyone knows that he's the man that he's in charge and and that's very much what he tries to do in this film and and he gets more nuanced as he goes on and particularly as estrella 
starts to kind of endear herself to him a little bit more. Well, and he's also, he, he takes on a responsibility of a sort, you know, he's making sure that the littlest one goes to bed on time and, and gets his bedtime story. And he's trying to make sure the other one eats his peas. Cause those are your veggies. You got to eat those, you know, <laughs> and he's, he's looking after them. He feels a sense of, of responsibility for them. As long as we're talking about all these kids, I also do want to point out that almost any podcast we've had discussing a film with child actors is inundated by at least a 10 minute discussion of they weren't that good or they were horrible, um, but we were able to get through it and see what they were trying to do. I don't think we need to have that discussion as much with this. They're all great. I really do believe that these kids uh, have excellent performances through and through all the way down to the youngest with Morrow. I I think it's, it's very well performed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like at first I thought maybe, you know, Pops and, and Tuxi were kind of ciphers. They're just like, you know, the, the other two, you know, <laughs> out of this group right. of kids. But then there's the scene well, in the abandoned hotel where they're pretending to have auditions. Oh, that's so funny. Know, like America's Got Talent <laughs> or something. You know, and Pop does a rap and Tuxi is the uh, the judge out in the audience. And it's it's extremely funny, and it just gives you a, a window into their personalities. To see them being kids, yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, like, which is pretty rare. I mean, they're they're a, essentially kids cast into having to be adults and fend for themselves. So when you get these, when they're they're drawing soccer numbers on their back with permanent marker and screwing it up, and <laughs> and, and and that's a just, Y, not a four. Uh, it looked like a claw. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, uh, they're just in awe of the koi that are swimming in in the in the mansion they find, and they're you know make believe America's Got Talent or whatever the show is yeah. they're putting in. It's just these are all just really fun. I, I love when you see these super serious kids uh, get to go back to what they're supposed to be doing um, mm-hmm. if they didn't live in this terrible world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the film does not protect children, but instead lets them face consequences for their actions. That's a discussion piece from David. Um, and the consequences of those around them, you know, um, the world is thrust upon all these kids. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it also, it never, you know, we talked about how much this doesn't glorify violence. It also doesn't make you in a way that I really, uh, not to, to harp back on a point that I've talked about up before, but drive, one of my biggest issues with drive is how much it wants you to be like, look, look at how bloody this is. Look at the violence, look at it. And this movie has violence and children getting killed and it's horrible and it's horrific, but it doesn't like dwell on it enough it just it, it lets it be a reality of this world it it trusts you to feel the horror without sticking your nose in it yes yeah absolutely what do you guys do think you guys, about oh go ahead Dave. Go, i mean go ahead uh phil uh, um How dare you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm juggling three people instead of two i i feel like uh you guys know foreign movies better than I do, uh, but just with the little narrow scope I've had, I feel like foreign movies are a little more willing to go there as far as like portraying horrible things happening to children, not because they enjoy it. They just trust the audience to know, to get the tragedy and to live with the tragedy that the film presents. I'm thinking I got some real strong, like city of God vibes watching this. I don't know if you guys have seen city of God, um, no, I've I just heard feel, about it though. Uh, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, these uh, these horrible things happen to kids in these movies, and they show it, and they're not afraid to show it. And I feel like American movies will draw a line. Even like Game of Thrones, as gratuitous as they were with sex and violence, always drew a line. They never killed a kid on screen, even kid zombies. Like they just would not go there they would show you the aftermath but i feel like at a certain point they go no our audiences are too squeamish for that 
uh, we'll draw the line here. Mm. And I don't, I don't know if that's me making that distinction or if you guys can speak to that a little better. I, I will it's, say that it's still mostly a taboo here. I think. Yeah, I think part of it too is um, if anybody has seen the documentary, uh, this film is not yet rated. I have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which goes into, it's a very fascinating movie. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere right now. People should definitely check it out. It's about the, uh, the film rating board. And there's all these rules about it. Like you're not supposed to be a parent on there, but there's like half of them are parents. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a little bit of that too, where the people who are making those calls of whether or not your film's going to be PG 13 or NC 17 are these very typically more like conservative minded parents. I will also say that the two other around the world picks we've had um, both from Nicole, uh, let the right one in and raw both of those are not afraid oh, yeah. to show horrific things happening to children. Let the right one in. That's well, a good I mean, bro, yeah. it's it's a little bit on the older side, their university age. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, let the right one in. They're they're preteens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh what a happy go lucky movie that was. Too. <laughs> <laughs> still would recommend. Yeah, still excellent. <laughs> No, I, I think that's a great question. I, and I, I also wanted to ask you guys about about the line of blood. Uh, this is a very Guillermo del Toro-esque item. Um, Phil, you mentioned del Toro with Pan's Labyrinth. And you're right, like Pan's Labyrinth is also, you know, look at this young girl coping with trauma and horrific things around her by escaping into fan, fantastical realities. And this is actually more of like a girl's being haunted by her dead mother. But tomato tomato i kind of understand how they're very similar uh where um this also felt very del toro to me the the single line of blood that follows out of the dead bodies and it just i don't know that just feels very him i don't know how else to describe it i don't i feel like this is the thing of you remember when pulp fiction came out and every movie was some watered down version of a Tarantino script for about five or six years after that. I, you know, the, the chalk that is the wishes that she draws the chalk line to keep the yeah. blood out, you know, that's straight out of Pan's labyrinth. The, yeah. um, just everything about the tragedy around this girl. And is this real or is this not the ambiguity of it? I, I feel like there's a lot of Pan's labyrinth parallels and I'm not dinging the movie for that. I'm just saying like it's she's obviously influenced by Del Toro mm -hmm. to the degree where some of it is maybe homage. Some of it maybe just seeps in. Uh, it's not a direct ripoff, but it, you just see elements of it that I think are paralleled. Oh, a hundred percent. The, the chalk especially is uh, very, I got very strong pants labyrinth five several times, but like when she draws the line, with the chalk in the thing stops following her kind of randomly. There's really no explanation right. as to why she knows how to do that um, or that that works. But I, I definitely got the feeling because the fawn gives um, the girl, I can't remember the character's name, the girl in uh, Pan's Labyrinth, this chalk that allows her to do all these things. And there, there is an actual reason for it, or at least there ended up being a reason. Um, there's a great Vulture interview with the director. I'm going to quote a couple times this evening. Um, but in one piece of it, it says, Lopez had ridden a trickle of blood flowing from the corpse in an early draft of the script, but hadn't fleshed out its purpose. And so, in the process of revising her script, the blood became a relentless spirit presence that follows Estrella until the station itself on a dress that belonged to her mom ominously staining it red she sees a body turns around and walks away but you don't walk away from the dead in mexican culture because it will not let you look away it will come behind you um so that ends up being kind of the the metaphor that that the director's shooting for um yeah well it's yeah, also you it. can't leave grief behind you know, when you experience a loss that huge, you can ignore it all you want, but it's still going to be with you and it's still going to affect you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a, a question from Phil here. Uh, Shine holds on to souvenirs of his tragedies, where while Australia does not. Uh, is the movie trying to say something about letting go and moving forward? So he holds on to a photo of his mom and, uh, and actually tries to go get her a photo of her mom from her house. 
He has a photo of his mom and he has the Zippo lighter that gave him his burn scar and and burned his house down. Like he's I feel like he's hanging on to these things and that's why he's he's super angry. Hmm. Whereas Australia is is more. I don't feel like she's as revenge minded. She's just trying to survive and she's sort of left just sort of abandoned. That is the one part of the movie I think is, is strange is that she just abandons her, her life. Oh, my mom's gone. Uh, My house is haunted. I'll just go live on the street with these kids. I think she's in denial for a lot of the film. Well, and also her house is haunted. She doesn't want to go back in there to get stuff. Uh, but I, yeah, I didn't know that if, you know zombie mom's gonna turn up and <laughs> poke her in the she, head one day. <laughs> yeah, but she does find out uh, eventually that her house isn't haunted; her life is haunted because her yeah. her mom keeps following her everywhere. Um, yeah, I yeah. just didn't know if it was an intentional sort of statement the movie was trying to make, or if it just happened to be traits of these characters. And I just wondered what you guys thought. I wonder yeah. if part of that is what Nicole had mentioned earlier that Shine holds a lot more responsibility than any of these other kids. You know, he he does have to take care of them all and he ha- has assumed elements, parental elements uh for them and maybe those souvenirs in a way are holding on to when he was still a kid and when he had some of that innocence, um, mm. not necessarily the lighter, but certainly the photo of his mom at the um, end of his innocence, the yeah. end of his childhood, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. yeah I mean, the only person he opens up to is Estrella, who is being a little taller than him. Maybe he thinks that she's, you know, a year older or something and someone who's uh, an outsider to his group. So he feels it's a little safer to confide in her than to, you know, um, let the other kids see that he's feeling fear or weakness or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's also yeah, not but- exactly a chatterbox. So it's not like, <laughs> I don't think she's going to go telling people about his, uh, whatever she, he tells her. Right. True. Uh, David, you had something. Oh, I was just going to say, um, especially if he's like their caretaker, you know, he's not going to be rushing to open up and be super vulnerable to them. If it's like, well, I have to be the the rock, as it were, the strength of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which you definitely feel when you're a parent is, you know, it's like somebody's got to be the adult and keep their head around here when things go pear-shaped. And that somebody should probably be me <laughs> and yeah. not the 14-year-old over there or the No, I hire, I hire a guy to come in. I'm like, hey, uh, <laughs> I got a tough decision. Will you come in here and be a tiebreaker for us? <laughs> So uh, one of the biggest elements of this film, and, and I think another one of the just most horrifyingly real and, and nuanced ways to portray what happens with these cartels and people who get abducted and killed by them, is that the kids end up with the phone of one of the cartel members. I believe it's Kako's phone, is it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. they He's end the up with his phone. Shine steals it early on. Right, and he has video that shows uh, them torturing what actually ends up being Estrella's mother, um, but torturing and killing people. And the guy in the video, one of the cartel members who is torturing them, presumably like the leader, um, is Chino. And we also find out that he is a local politician, which is why when the kids take the phone to two cops and the cops take one look at it, they're like, oh, no, bad news bears, and drive right away because they're not going to mess with that guy. Um and there's a couple elements of this, and we've, we've touched on a few of them here in our topics. Um, I suppose the first one is, uh, how do these kids never figure out how to turn the ringer off? Yeah, they get called a lot on this phone by the cartel. Kids, kids these days and their technology. <laughs> I don't mean, I mean, I understand, though, you know, the vast majority of the movie, they don't have the password for the phone. They haven't figured it out. And it isn't until somebody calls the phone that they're able to unlock it without the password. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that's, that was the one thing that bothered me. It's like, yeah, there's, you know, there's ghosts and there's walking stuffed tigers and there's graffiti that moves, 
but the fact that they don't think to, yeah, that's totally fine. (laughs) But the fact they don't think to turn the sound off on the phone did bother me a little bit. Because they are, they do have some foresight, right? Like at one point they move camps because they realize that this gang knows where they are. So, yeah, and I think the other thing, Phil, you put this in our docket too, that they also don't happen to find this video for the longest time, despite having apparently scrolled through the entire phone for their photos of their moms and loved ones. Right. So they don't know why the phone is so important for the longest time. So. Yeah. Well, I wonder if they scrolled through and like started watching the video and realized what it was and then was just like, I don't want to watch the whole thing. You know, I can see that this is not not a good thing to watch. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now let's also talk about ghosts. I feel like we spent this entire time kind of not talking about the spooky ghosts and it's movie Ghoul Round Week. Um, so they're horrifyingly designed and again a little Guillermo mm. del Toro-esque but uh man if, if I have ever a parent ever haunt me please don't haunt me like this like <laughs> just show up in like a, like a blue like like a force ghost type thing oh, a force ghost sure. isn't scary showing up and what she was what she her body is left in which is a, a plastic sheet but, yeah like a yeah. queen uh but but this this there's this whole plot where uh her mother is really speaking for the masses of all these lost souls who have been killed by the cartel saying, you know, uh, essentially looking, I, I, I see two sides of it. Like one is that they're looking for some sort of peace because this does end up in all their bodies getting burned and not just being stuck away in a, um, in the back of a house, um, yeah, an abandoned building. Right. But then I suppose the other part of it is, there's kind of like a vengeance side of it, which is kind of rad. <laughs> like, sure. I, yeah. I, I, like, I'm just going to say, like, I, I love it when they finally get him because the whole movie, they're like, bring him to us because they want Chino and, uh, and they get him. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I think, I think it's that. And I, it occurs to me a little bit that, you know, this might also be the other relatives of the other kids mm, and yeah. they're trying to keep their children safe by taking care of this guy. So yeah. that might be part of it. Now, when or Australia, it could just be that it looks cool to lure the dude into the room <laughs> and just <laughs> hear them all moaning. And they they so. get like increasing like there's moments where like they the mom starts scaring Australia and Australia's like all right no thanks and then it just gets increasingly more horrifying where the mom starts bringing friends and then right. all of a sudden like fifteen <laughs> to twenty ghosts are showing up and at that point Australia's like I guess I really do have to bring them to you. Uh, yeah, it's well done though. It's it's it, they're there, super there are, creepy. There's enough elements of this movie, and you know, David, you put in our doc that the horror is the weakest part, and I think you're right. But there are enough elements of creepy hands coming out of gutters, and like, there's enough of it to really keep you on edge. Her mother's hand pokes her out of the cup of noodles. It's freaky. Oh, that is the craziest thing. There's some some good atmospheric moments. And there's a couple of, yeah, good moments. Like the hand in the cup of noodles really like that. But uh, some of the jump scares were very paint by the numbers. And, and I understand it wasn't the focus of the film. So it didn't detract from it for me a, a lot, but it, I think yeah, just as I said, the horror really was kind of the the weakest part versus this very strong, beautiful, beautiful is a rough word, but uh, oh, it's beautifully well, shot. Yeah. Well put together tapestry of the rest of the story. And it's like, and uh, here a hand grabs her and there's very strong musical cues to indicate it's about to happen. I will say that the shot when she drops down into the back of the house, the abandoned house where the bodies are, um, you know it's going to happen. She drops into a dark room. She turns on one light with 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 uh, shines lighter. Sure enough, there's the you know dead face of her mother illuminated right there for a brief moment in the light. And it's a cheap jump scare, but it's really well done. <laughs> um, it's horrifying. It's even more horrifying that she finds her dead mother and then the room starts to illuminate and her dead mother like reanimates very briefly to have like a short interaction with her, which is like equal parts beautiful and horrifying. Like it's, it's a lot to unpack yeah. right there. I mean, that's what, that's what I meant by the, this thing in our docket that I put in, which is that it walks a fine line in this scene between Estrella and her mother, because her mother is, she looks 
terrifying. You know, she's got these blacked out eyes and it looks like she's de- starting to decompose. And, you know, she's very frightening looking, but she's got this tender expression on her face. And when she reaches out to touch Estrella, Estrella lets her because it's this very gentle, loving gesture, the way that she does it. And it's, you know, to me, that's that's a really believable reaction from Estrella where she allows it, but she's crying. And it's, you know, it reminds me of, of dreams that I've had right after I've lost a loved one where, you know, they may not look like you remember them or, you know, there there could be a horrible element mixed in and yet you are still so... Uh, it, it it makes you it, it brings you this tremendous <sighs> joy is not the word but I mean you're 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 grateful you feel this connection. incredible sense yeah. of gratitude yeah. that you get that connection one more time no matter what the circumstances are yeah yeah absolutely it's and, and we we've touched on this already but I I do think the um the decision to show the bodies as they are in in where they're being stored um, makes for a unique element of horror that is very different from anything else. You you're seeing them wrapped up in these, you know, in this in plastic and, and their bodies destroyed. And, and it's just, it's, it gives you a better idea of, of what really does happen to some people um, with the cartels, but also just maybe it is better than just them being forced ghosts because it, it really <laughs> does hit home. Yeah. Uh, moving on to a couple other discussion topics. Uh, Shine does not believe in, in Estrella's wishes um, that she seems to believe there's power um, and the danger of those wishes. And uh, why then would she make a wish on Shine at the end? She wishes her last wish is for Shine for his uh, scar to go away on his face, burned from the house that, you know, his parents were killed in. Yeah, this this kind of... I. I- I'm still struggling to try to figure out why she would go for this. Even when throughout the movie, they talk about it a couple of times and she is like, no, I, I, I can't make these wishes because there's all this danger associated with it. And I never got the feeling at that point that she felt like the danger was gone. So I don't, I'm still trying to figure out why she thought like, Oh yeah, I'm going to make a wish on him and eh, it'll be fine. I don't know. Maybe she was just hoping against hope that yeah, this yeah. last one would would work out okay. Yeah. Because I, I mean, know. kids do that, you know? Sure. Yeah. What do you think, Phil? I, I have no idea. <laughs> I got nothing. I, I yeah. think it was just one of those things that needed to happen for the plot. And, uh, and she's like, well, I got one wish left and we're at the end of our character arc. I may as well just throw it out here and see what happens. And uh, how much, how much, well, we got like 10 minutes left in the movie. All right. Wish, wish, wish. All right. I mean, there's, I mean, there's the idea of like, she wished for her mom to come back, but you know, her, it didn't really affect her mom because her mom was already dead. Uh, she wished that she didn't have to kill the drug dealer. He was already dead. It wasn't anything that, she wished on somebody that affected them directly. Maybe she didn't think it was going to affect shine directly. If he lost his scar, the bad thing would happen to her or somebody else. Um, but you know, right in front, like, and her wishes happen immediately, by the way, like there's no, there's a real quick turnaround because yeah, that was, uh, that was shock. That was the most shocking thing to me was how fast that happened. Yeah. Yeah, I mean for for listeners, he in the same shot uh gets gets shot right in the side of the head um by Chino. And and yeah, I mean like it's it's but horrifically his scar is gone. Right, like it's horrifically poetic like in two points cuz like he gets shot on the side with the scar and he also then becomes a ghost who is obviously scarless. So yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, that's a bummer. <laughs> I, I, I did uh, love Shine's closure, though, of of burning the building down with the with yeah. the lighter, the ghost, the ghost of Shine. I thought he had a he had a nice, not a nice end to his arc because he was dead, but like uh, you know, his ghost got to go like you were talking, Brett, the vengeance angle. Yeah. You know, he got to go light the building on fire, and then he was done. He could go be at peace, or uh, you know, whatever comes after that. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have two more remaining discussion topics. Um, 
they're both mine and they're also kind of the same thing. So I will combine them here. Um, there's a, I wanted to ask you guys if you thought this movie offered any happy endings or is it just entirely bleak? Um, because what I, what I think about is you see the very end of this film, which is, you know, Chino's now dead. The ghosts have presumably gotten what they wanted and are hopefully at peace. Um, all of her friends are like gone in some capacity for the most part now. And, um, and Estrella just walks out into this like landscape of beautiful, you know, surreal, uh, like woods or prairie or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Grasslands. (laughs) It's the end um, of gladiator. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's exactly. She walks out to the end of gladiator while Enya plays. Um, (laughs) and, and there's, I, there's part of me that really doesn't like it because it feels like it's trying to tell me, look, she's like moving on and is at peace. I'm like, no, she's still an orphan child from the drug war and all of her friends are dead. Um, I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, what do you guys think? I think it's there to give you just a, you know, just a little hit of hope before you leave the theater, just so you're not, Oh, all this horrible stuff is happening and they, there's closure, but it's not really great closure and things are still terrible and they're probably going to still be terrible tomorrow and they're going to continue being terrible for a long time. You know, this at least gives you a little indication that maybe her future could be better. Right. Maybe she's walking into a, a better life now that all this is behind her you know she's a tiger she they've already been through the the bad stuff yeah so because where where is the hope for her right like i i i'll agree with nicole's assessment i think that's a good take on it where it's the kind of the best they can give in a metaphoric representation of like she has a chance for a better tomorrow because what if she just walked back out onto the street and we're reminded you know real hard slap in the face uh oh right she's a, a homeless child yay yeah it's a bit of a internal external thing her external life is a mess but her internally she knows who she is she's you know they said at the beginning you can't be a tiger because the tiger's forgotten how to be a prince and a warrior and all these things and you know she's gone through these things that have made her the warrior makes her the tiger so in uh uh I, I, I do some uh, Eastern philosophy reading. I've been through sobriety. There's this whole thing where you go through it all and your life is still a mess, but internally you know who you are and you know you're you're more secure in that. And I kind of feel like there's a there's a parallel that this movie is trying to say. Like, yeah, she still lives in a shit show of a life, but she knows who she is and she's walking out tall. She has some closure with her mother and with these new friends she's made. And, uh, you know, she is better prepared to face whatever is coming down the line. Uh, that's my read. I could be 180 degrees off. So, uh, yeah, that was it. No, I I think you're absolutely in the ballpark and and that makes a lot of sense. And, and I, and, and also like, to both of your points, you and Nicole both, like you do need that hit of hope and you do need to feel that she's found something out of this because otherwise the reality is orphaned kid. Uh, most of the friends are dead. Um, this is one. Also like the other thing I, I, I do like about this movie actually is that like, it's just, we've talked about this. It's one isolated cartel. This is one bad dude. Who's also, you know, a corrupt politician. Right. Like this is not Rambo ending an entire cartel of hundreds of members <laughs> to bring Rambo back to this. Um, these are like seven or eight guys that are really causing them an issue. It's a specific group. Um, so that world still exists out there. And it's, it's, and it seems in the area, at least where she lives, it's going to be an omnipresent threat for a long time. So you kind of need something that's not that, I guess. So I, I, I get it. I get it. It just feels like weirdly, I think gladiator is the right <laughs> analogy yeah. there. Like, I feel like gladiator earns that in some ways. And I don't know if this does, but I don't know. Would you rather a truck full of kids in cages drove by at the end, Brett? And they just said, <laughs> no. well, we still live in this terrible human trafficking world. Oh, uh, you know, like, like it's, it's just, yeah, I think it's, yeah. I don't know. It, I think, it, I think, it, I think, it, 
It this is the movie though. that we should uh, yeah. show to the people who are like, why don't those people just stay in their own country and make it better <laughs> instead of coming here? <laughs> just like this, this is why. This is yeah. why, because the police are doing nothing or less than real nothing thing, in this right. particular case. This is a real thing that's happening and they've got nowhere to turn. You know, right. you see right after Estrella gets home and her mom's not there, you know, she watches a, a neighboring family pack up and leave because they don't want to be there anymore. Who and she doesn't have that option. And yeah, and who could blame yeah. them? So, yeah, I, I think part of me wishes that almost there was a a built-in fallback that somehow made sense at the end of this movie where now she has an aunt that, lit, you know, can she can find some sort of family or something. I don't know. It's fine. That's she walks into a prairie. It works. Um, I get what you're saying, Brett, because yeah. it just doesn't seem it's so unlike the rest of this movie. It's yeah. so far removed from the the entire tone of this movie has been dark and gritty and weird. And then there's like this CGI bright, sunny day. And, uh, it, you know, it just it is so it looks like a scene out of another movie. Yeah, yeah, it kind of does. Uh, but long story short, uh, I'm glad you guys watched this. I know it's depressing, but I think our discussion has taken us in many unique ways. I do want to start the close here with another piece from that Vulture article, which explains the whole tiger thing, because I actually find it kind of hilarious because it was mostly an accident. Um, despite the presence in the title of Lopez's film, the tiger, which serves as a totem for shines gang and is spray painted on the surfaces throughout the movie did not come to the writer director until right before she started filming. It happened on accident. Lopez wanted shine to encounter something as he was creating his graffiti in the street, a nod to the wild of what would happen if man were to disappear. This was in one of the later scripts. She explains, I kept on rewriting and reimagining and visual started to fall into place. So I said to my producers, I'm going to need a zebra now. Uh, animals of the Serengeti are obviously not native to Mexico. But Lopez says that some drug lords are known to keep their own personal zoos. It turns out they couldn't ethically source a zebra through an approved animal handler. So instead, the producers offered her a hippo. For obvious comedic reasons, the hippo was a no-go. So Lopez declined that offer. And eventually they came to her with the option of a tiger. <laughs> That's when the director realized that the tiger could also serve as the binding metaphor in her narrative. Something savage and beautiful that does not belong in this ravaged city, but still has the strength to come conquer it anyway just like her orphans um how great is that <laughs> she wanted a zebra couldn't get the zebra tried to get ended up being offered a hippo and then ended up with a tiger because like there is a tiger like we see a tiger for a moment in this movie and yep for a real tiger yeah god bless them for not cgiing the tiger actually i'm i I, I don't think it's CGI, but I do think it's green screened in there. I don't think it's in the same shot with. I don't think the she was child in the actress. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right, but uh, but obviously they they got a tiger because they couldn't get a zebra. Yeah. Also, like, what? Why is the zebra no go? The tiger's okay. I digress. Um, <laughs> I want to know the logistics behind that. Not the same. Not a predator. <laughs> I I suppose so. All righty. Well, uh, <laughs> I think that'll do it for us in this discussion of Tigers Are Not Afraid, the fourth entry in movie Ghoul Round. And this movie certainly had some ghouls in more ways than one. Uh, let's go around the horn and see where we can find everybody online. Nicole, what are you up to? I take care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Podcast. So we put the poll up, a link to the poll up there for You Did This to Us. We announce new episodes uh if you have any questions or comments or anything you know feel free to post it there and we'll we'll bring it up on the show absolutely and what about you david people can find me on twitter at devluz that's d-a-v-l-u-z i also do a show called hit me one more time phil root is on that approximately 10 percent of the time but he is mentioned 100 percent of the time <laughs> so that's only because i give nick such a hard time <laughs> yeah, and As Phil, Phil, where can people find you online? What have you been up to lately? Uh, PhilRude.com has all my social media links, and you can also find me on my show, uh, the Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. Um, it's a movie podcast. We talk about movies. It's a lot like this, or Brokebot, or 
a million others. It's just with me and my kid. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. We'll definitely be sure to check that out. Links in the show notes. Uh, Reminder again, tomorrow is You Did This To Us. We announced it at the top of the show, but it'll also be in the show notes if you'd like to follow along. My guess is you probably won't, but if you do, it's available (laughs) to you. Uh, You can find me personally on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart, but I'll do it for myself, David, Nicole, and Phil. We'll see you tomorrow night for You Did This To Us. (laughs) 